0: Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. On Jew in the City, well, actually, we recently have been working on our mission statement to make it a little bit broader than it was before, because when we started a decade ago, um, our idea was to show the meaning in Orthodox Judaism and the positive, you know, uh, parts of uh, living an observant Jewish life to the non-Orthodox community. Um, in these last ten years, we've realized that plenty of Orthodox Jews are looking to see the the meaning and the positive side in orthodoxy as well, and that really our goal here in this organization is to make this known and to make it accessible that every Jew should know how beautiful and how positive and how how much a life of observance can add to their life um, and any Jew that is interested to have access to such a life um, should be able to and so a lot of the stories that we tell here the people that we have on Jew in the City Speaks are people who do one of two things either they do something out of the box the quote-unquote box because I think often we see the box of observance as smaller than it needs need to be um, and those are people both from without and from within so there are stereotypes um, from outside the Orthodox world that We have to sort of fit a certain mold. And then it ends up that um, certain communities or certain families or certain schools end up making boxes smaller than they need to be for people growing up in those places when actually uh, Jewish law allows for a lot more room for self, a lot more room for interesting careers, hobbies, um, and, you know, quirks that sort of a thing. Um, And then in terms of inspiring people, showing people how a life of Torah and Mitzvot Um, Adds meaning to their life. That's another big thing that we like to do around here. So usually we have a guest that either is stereotype-defying or has sort of a meaningful story um, about their life story. Um, But this guest, this week actually, we have someone who is going to give us both. So that's uh, two for the price of one. Um, Her name is Vered Bensadon. Um, She is the co-founder of Tura Winery. Um, So she is a female winemaker, which apparently is not very common. Um, I'm not such an expert on winemaking. I am somewhat of an expert in wine drinking. Um, And she also has an interesting story um, of how she came to Judaism. So, Vera, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: And so um, today you live in Israel, where you run your winery with your husband but um, I believe the story that you're going to tell us today begins a couple generations ago.
1: That's true. Actually, today so, I'm living in Rechelim. It's a small community in Samaria, uh, five minutes from the city Ariel, in the center of Israel, in the heartland, and the biblical uh, land of Israel. And I'm 41 years old. I'm married Perez uh We have five children. And... Today, my oldest is 22, and she's married a year and a half already. And our youngest is six. And we working together, and we began as vintners And with the time, if you want me to tell all the story, I will tell you um, how we became
0: uh, winemakers. So first, so since your story begins first, let's take this in two parts. Um, I first want to hear your Jewish journey, and then we can um, segue into your winemaking journey. So, um, your family came from Amsterdam originally, correct?
1: As I was born in Holland to a non-Jewish mother and a Jewish father, and my parents were students in a theology school. They were learning about uh, Buddha, and mm. in the end of the course, they asked the teacher, "Why don't they teach Judaism?" and he told them that he don't know how to teach it. Then they began to ask, they were very curious, because my mother was not Jewish, but she married a Jewish guy. And my father actually was Jewish, but he didn't know something about it. Only Bar Mitzvah he knows, and that's it. And they began to ask a teacher, and he said, I don't know how to teach it. It's too much complicated. And then began, they began to ask, and we made Aliyah to Israel. converted by the rabbi grown himself and today my parents living in kochava shahar it's a community half an hour from here from rechelin and they're the neighbors of my in-laws that made aliyah for Morocco and iran Uh, Mm -hmm. but my background is much more complicated and my grandmother from the jewish side the mother of my mother the mother of my father she survived the Holocaust. She was 15. Same story like Anna Frank, but embarrassed, and God, and because of that we are here. And she wrote a diary. And when I was 12, I was very proud to get it from her. And when my oldest was 12, Ayala, we gave it to her, and together we went to Yehoshem, the museum of the Holocaust, and we put it there for the remembrance for the people in the world. But from the Mandarin side of my family, I had, fortunately, um, relatives, including the mother of my mother, that helped the Nazis during the war. And uh, that's not an easy story to tell, but uh, I'm telling the people I didn't choose the story, but the story chose me, as maybe there is a reason. And a part of what we're trying to do is to tell our story and I know it's not the story of Ben Saddam, it's the story of the Jewish nation, of the Jewish people, and that's why we share it, and hopefully we can want more people to Israel, to Samaria, to, do, to the Judaism, to be curious, to hear,
0: that's why. When your parents started learning about Judaism, were you, I don't know if you have any siblings, were you already alive, or this is before they had kids?
1: No, well, I was three years, and I had another sister, and, and together we made Aliyah to Israel, and also together we converted with my mother. My father was Jewish, as yeah, that was okay.
0: So how old were you when you converted? I was three years. Okay, fine. So so your memories are really of living as a Jew and living in Israel? Uh, that's but I still have
1: family there and Mm -hmm. my grandfather the father of my mother was alive until some years ago and we were allotted in Holland and he came here and we know we know he was not Jewish and it was a part of my life I was never thinking about it but um, when I was a kid I was very curious about the Holocaust I was talking a lot I spoke a lot with my grandmother, and when I realized that there were, in the other side, other stories, I was curious as well to hear what happened exactly. And only two years ago, my parents went with all of us, the kids, to Holland, and we opened the archive. and there was actually the first time my mother realized that her mother was a part of it, because until then, she was sure it's only her uncles.
0: Uh, Wait, that her mother was a what? I lost
1: that word. Her mother was a... My mother didn't know she was a collaborator. She collaborated with the Germans, with the Nazis. Oh. And my mother didn't know that. She was thinking all the years, until two years ago,
0: that it were only her uncles who did that. So your grandmother collaborated with with the Nazis? Your grandmother collaborated with the Nazis?
1: Mm -hmm. I don't call her grandmother because wow. I don't feel like that. But that's the truth. That
0: That's the truth, <laughs> actually. So, okay, so that's really the the biggest part of the story. So um, I, I, I hear a lot of these stories now of people that have a Jewish lineage. They're not halachically Jewish, but they have a Jewish lineage somewhere, and somehow the family finds its way back and converts, and a lot of times they end up in Israel. What... What is mm-hmm. the meaning for you, I'm saying? I guess you come from two such very different parts, from two such very different um, stories. I guess, do you, do you see, like, Hashem's guiding hand, that your family found their way back to where they were supposed to be?
1: Look, first I'm telling my mother that it's not her fault and that we, as the third generation, have the courage to look at it without blame ourselves. And, of course, I know that to choose to be a Jew and to come to Israel, live in Samaria, to work with agriculture, that's the best Jewish answer we can give. And I'm sure if my grandmother was alive, that was her nightmare. Of course, that's the best Jewish answer we can give. And, you know, Samir doing everything we that's around us. And of mm. course, that's a part of it. And I believe in it, of course. Do you, you know, as
0: someone that has this sort of, I guess, powerful background or story, I feel like sometimes, and I, I mean, I was born Jewish, but I uh, made a decision to, you know, do tshuva and become observant. Sometimes I look at people that are raised, Jew- you know, Jewish observant their whole life, and it seems like they, they so much take it for granted. Um, is that something that you've ever thought about before, that, you know, in a sense, you you had to fight for it? You came from this unusual background, and so many Jews don't realize the riches and their heritage that are right in front of them?
1: Um, I was a kid, but still, I, I can tell you that especially to live in this area, in Samaria, and to be a Jew, that's uh, not an easy combination. Mm-hmm. As it's a, it's my life. That's what I'm used to. It, but mm-hmm. I know Jews struggle for years. It was it's a part of the dreams, you know, to to suffer. But mm-hmm. I, I I know that from the Holocaust we came in the State of Israel. As I feel that from everything like that, something good is happening in the future. And if we. As a couple, I am as, as a part of it as it's our honor and to be Jewish, to do it today, and also today to struggle, to lost friends. I am, my parents are from Kochava We lost just a friend last week, this week actually, uh, two weeks before, and there was a guy murdered from Harbacha, where we are living, where the vineyards are located. As We're surrounded by struggle, but... In the end, this, the reason why we live here is because we love the land of Israel. As maybe I choose it, but um, but it's a part of of me. I I can't imagine a non-Jewish visit or something like that because I'm very a proud Jew and a proud Israeli citizen. And it's so a now market,
0: let's talk, you know. So let's talk about your, your winery now. First of all, I guess the first thing is that women winemakers are not so common. So is there a reason for that or it's a it's religion woman is,
1: is not common. And women's as well. that's that's correct. Wine. Why? Why you have so many chefs these are that are men's? Because women, for generations, were raising their children, and mm-hmm. that was it. That's it. And mm-hmm. things change. And of course, it's complicated to raise my children and do everything mm-hmm. together. But still, I have a, a lot of pride because I do it. And I also feel that uh, that it's important that women can have an influence about our life. I've only let men do it. Take responsible of my life and do what I believe.
0: That's changing, changed a lot around me as a woman. Why did you and your husband decide to open up a winery, of all things?
1: As we were very young, I was married 18 in a week. As was after the army. And, and then we married and we want to settle the land. That was the reason we had no experience, our family was not in this business, no agriculture. We want to settle the land because of the land of Israel, and we began planting. the way for four years because of religion reasons, or and and then we began selling the grapes to a big winery in the country, in Israel. And, unfortunately, that winery said, we don't want to buy any more of your grapes because we have a problem to sell the wine with the name of the community or the location of the vineyards on the label. And then we really got a big problem because all all our money was invested in the land. Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, we will try to open a winery. We began with 1,200 bottles. It's like four barrels. And today, thank God, that's history, we're producing almost 100,000 bottles a year. And wow. I don't know how many bottles there are because there are a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And where
0: are you shipping your, your wine to?
1: About 40%, we sell overseas to the states, most of it in the area of New York, New Jersey, Elizabeth, California, and Florida. And also to other countries, a little bit in Europe, because it's very complicated because of BDS. And mm-hmm. to Hong Kong, uh, Uruguay, Panama, and we're trying now to open a new market to Japan. We have been there mm-hmm. three wow. months ago. There's a lot of people who love Israel, who love mm-hmm. wine, and don't have all the issues with BDS and so on. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the future
0: for us. So I heard something recently that Israel was, you know, in sort of, I guess, ancient times was sort of the best place on earth to make wine, and then, you know, we were exiled and gone from the land for thousands of years, and now Israel's emerging again as, you know, one of the top wine-making countries in the world. Have you heard something like this? Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with kind of where Israel stands in terms of, wine production compared to the rest of the world? I can tell you that I'm
1: feeling it every day. I hear about it, I'm a part of it and that's a very good feeling. Um, Samaria was known for the best wines in Israel in two thousand years ago. And in the Gumara it's written Al Falayin, the best wine they produce here and took it to the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um after the exile and the Muslims came and Destroyed everything because they are not allowed to drink wine and alcohol. But um, that's why you can't, you can't fi- find um, w- vines, but a lot of olive trees. But actually, mm-hmm. we found old wine presses, very old wine presses in old Samaria that shows us about this production. And Jeremiah said when the Jews went to Rome to, with exile. He said, The hope will be that Jewish people will come back to their land. We began planting vineyards and began producing wo- wines. As we have the honor to be a part of it, to see the words of Jeremiah became alive and actually produce one of the best wines in Israel. We have more than 50, 60 awards from all around the world. Of course, it's a blind tasting. They don't know where the wines came from. Hmm. That helped us going, uh, you know, without the politics. But um, actually, yes, it's one of the best wines in Israel. And maybe I can say more, that even say that without Samaria and the Golan Heights, there are no good wines in Israel at all, because the the best grapes today
0: grow in Samaria,
1: on Mount Kizim, and in the Golan
0: Heights. So where, meaning how, uh, I guess you don't have an explanation. So the only explanation that we could have is something, something uh, godly or something beyond this world because, or I'm saying maybe there's a no, no, physical no, no. explanation. Right. Like why, why are the best grapes in the world out of, uh, saying this is something that if we looked it up, we, we could see that Israel is winning more A why. Um, more awards in wine blind taste testing than other other regions, like in France and Italy, where we might expect to be the mm-hmm. best wines. Israel is surpassing it now. This is now becoming the new normal.
1: Look, Israel is only 70 years exist, as it's pretty new, and that's why we hear more and more. But mm-hmm. history of prison wine is here, was here a lot. As only we know about it these days because we began with it. The wine industry is where it's like 25 years exist. And only the last 10, 15 years, people began to realize that we have very good stuff here. And uh, that's why. But uh, because, you know, 2,000 years ago there was no radio, no Internet, that's why. But we know that uh, by archaeology we know that the world here in wine production.
0: Are you getting to interact with um, people outside of Israel who are trying your wine? Have you ever had an experience with someone whose opinion changed or who they couldn't believe that kosher wine was so good or wine from Israel was so good? Good, Do you do you get to have this kind of interactions? Yes. Actually, we have
1: a visitor center here in the the winery, and I met a lot of people from all around the world just last week, we had people from Nigeria, Switzerland, Holland, Norway, Sweden, States, Canada, a lot, a lot of people. And they're curious to hear about Samaria. They're curious about about the Bible, about the history here. And also, some of them are surprised about this good wine. They say, wow, that's one of the best wines I've ever. I can tell you an exciting story. I I have a lot, but one of them was I had in Les Sukkot. Every holiday we are open free, no charge, and people come to taste wine. And Les Sukkot, I had like thousands of people coming in. And I had a group that made aliyah from all around, all over the world. And there was a very old guy, he was, I think, more than 80. And he said, You know, That's one of the best was I taste ever. And I said, okay. And I hear it not for the first time, but please tell me. And he said, you know, for years I was living in South Africa. And what I did for my living was taste wine from all around the world every day. Every day a lot a lot of wine. And that's the best was I taste ever. Uh, That was a very exciting story for me because he had really an experience. From tasting a lot and from everywhere, and then came to Rechelim and told that to me that was, wow, well, <laughs> very
0: exciting. Do you feel like your life is a prophecy? I'm saying, you know, you're, you know, where you came from, um, sort of this uh, place of, I guess, on, on one hand, there's the Jewish lineage, on the other hand, this real, I'm saying, like, unfortunately, real evil, um, and then you return to the land and now you're actually, you know, the land laid fallow while the Jews were gone, and now you've come back to the land and helped to make it blossom and help to restore Israel back to that level of being, you know, the greatest wine producer in the world. So does that feel like you're sort of just a page out of a prophecy? I can
1: tell you that I'm feeling every day like it's a miracle. I don't know if it's a part of it, of course, a prophecy, but it's a miracle because I can see people that came specially to tour from so far away. I this morning my daughter was in the train in Jerusalem, and she and she found something of Torah in the train, and she sent it. She sent a picture. And she said, Well, I found it here in the train. as It's going all around, and that's really a miracle. And mm. see the people come here, send the wines all around the world as wine packages for Pesach. I left Chagrim in Sukkot. We send like 2,000 wine packages to Africa. I had new relations with the guy here from Hertelia. He has a big company in Africa, and he sent for, in, in, for Christmas for the non-Jewish people. In Africa, all the one packages from Tour. As you know, it's like every day is a miracle. Every person who's coming, every story that we're hearing, every conversation that I have with people is a miracle. And I can't imagine years ago that this would be my future. And it's exciting. It's, I'm, I'm proud to be an ambassador of Samaria, an ambassador of Israel, because if you're giving wine of Israel, as that's what's bonding the people to you and bonding people together. As if you want or not, you're an ambassador of Israel as well. And that's, that's very nice
0: eh, to be a part of it. Um, and I've got about two minutes left, so if you could try to sum this up in, in about two minutes um, for people that would say I would never live over the green line. I can't believe she lives in the Shomron. It's obviously a more dangerous life. Why? Why do you feel um, strongly about living in, in a place like this, even if there are risks associated with it? Okay. At uh, first,
1: uh, I am not letting my fear mention my life. That's that's. My, that's what I'm choosing to do, and what I choose to do. Uh, and also most of the people that listening are now are going every day in a car and crossing the street. It's very dangerous, but nobody is thinking about that. Everybody go to work, you go on the street and do what you need because that's life. And that's our life here as well. and most of the time, ninety nine percent of the time. We have normal life, uh, raising our children, going to work, give work to other people who are working with us, uh, have good friends, drink good wines, and from time to time we also lost some friends and have damage. But it's really uh, not what most of the time. And if you compare that to car accidents, uh, that's much more co- uh, common and much more happening. If you uh, compare as we're here because we love the land of israel and we see with our own eyes how the land give us back there is no other expla- explanation of what's happening with Torah, and um,
0: that's my answer okay i'll take it um for everybody that's okay. listening now they may want to be purchasing some wines for an upcoming holiday with four cups of wine where can they find Torah Wines?
1: Our distributor in the state is Red Garden. And, and also they can go into our website. It's a Tura Winery or www.turawinery.com. And we have shop at uh, Com and our website. And the best thing, if you come to Israel, come visit. From Tel Aviv, it's 35 minutes, less than you can imagine. And come see the view, feel the people, feel the history, feel the Bible became alive, and have a good glass of wine, probably with me. <laughs> that can be the best part of your trip. And, of course, wish everybody good kashav and hopefully you will have one bottle of two on your table in f- the four cups.
0: Sounds good. All right, thank you so much for, for your time and uh, best of luck. And may, uh, may you continue to uh, make more and better wines and, um, and continue to see miracles every day.
1: Thank you very much uh, for your time. And we're waiting to see everyone. And Chag again.
0: And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.